B-Cinema Talks with your hosts Tina Desiree Berg and Jason LaCory. I'm so hard on you, son, like I am. Is, well, someday I'd like to make you a partner. Yep. Uh, well, coming here from another country like you did, having your own business, American dream is still alive. Would you believe that? We love you, America. America is the greatest country in the world. We will now purge. We will torture you and violate your flesh. Remove your skin and share in your blood. This is the American way. Senator. Come with us.
So today I'm here with Leslie Lee, who is a writer and host of the Struggle Session podcast, which covers politics from a pop culture point of view. Welcome, Leslie. Uh, thank you so much for having me. So you recently published a piece in Truth Dig that I thought was rather interesting about the purge and how the purge is a reality in many different ways. So can you walk us briefly through the piece and what sort of prompted you to write it? You know, so what prompted me to write it is basically that I love the Purge movies. They're all like good, exciting horror action flicks. And the last one especially is probably the best, is definitely the best one. It's like, it's just a fantastic uh, action movie with some really good horror in it. And what really struck me is just how black it was. Um, Like everybody in the movie is black. And like, it's not like the... Um, bougie or mystical blacks that you see in Black Panther, even a, or even a show I like, like like Blackish. Like it's not is is poor black people. It's black people you see you see every day, and I like that. I like seeing ourselves represented as we really are, and still represented as heroes and noble and survivors, because that's what we are. Like you, if you're a poor black person, you're a survivor, and that the purge series on the whole captures that idea because the premise of the purge is that for one night crime is legal simple premise right but when you extrapolate from that what does that actually mean well if you're poor what that means is that a bunch of rich people who can buy tanks and ak-47s etc etc can hunt you down and there's very little you can do about it like that's but and it's just a metaphor really for how poor people are treated in the country anyway. It's just a metaphor for the prison industrial complex. It's a metaphor for how violence is treated in this country, how it's pushed off on the poor while the people can move out in the suburbs and be, you know, generally safe. And that's what the whole series has been about. It's a very political series. Most pe- Even though people don't really pick up on it for some reason, but it's explicitly political. It's explicitly anti-capitalist it's it basically the premise of of the whole part purge of what it really is is just a way for the government um along with corporations the nra etc to get rid of poor black and brown people who they think they are no longer necessary anymore and they can kill eradicate all these people and save a bunch of money and they use you know and they use police officers and right-wing gangs and mercenaries like Blackwater in order to do it. The prim- the idea is not that people would all turn on each other if crime was legal. It's like, no, no, no. Most people just want to have like a block party. Like that's what most of the people are doing. In order to create the violence, the um, government actually sent in killers to go down and you know, murder people in black churches and apartment buildings. Like it is really political stuff. It references all sorts of racist atrocities that happen in real life. And that's the thing. Like there's nothing in these films that happens in these films that doesn't also happen in real life. It's just that on purge it's one and in the purge universe it's just one night of racist capitalistic eliminationist violence in real life, it's spread out over 365 days, and we don't even notice it, and sometimes we don't even think it's a bad thing. True that. Um, you know, which is one of the reasons why 
I got sort of sucked into the Green Arrow show. Green Arrow is definitely uh, written from the perspective of a leftist. It's that whole steal from the rich, give to the poor mentality. I was really surprised when the CW picked that particular character up for a show for this reason. But, you know, they sort of soften it around the edges and maybe gloss over some of his more subversive tendencies that you would see in the original comic. Is that a show that you like or watched? 28 crates, four guns in each crate, $250,000 cash. Take it or leave it. That's the deal. You're good. You know, I've, I've watched a bit of it, and I do really enjoy it as an action show. I, I do really feel like they really soften the edges because he's given a book to of all these rich people to kill. But he, he does, but it's very he's very vague. It's very vague about like any ideology behind it. Like, why is he doing this? I I haven't watched the later seasons. I don't know if they explain it more. But it reads more like a almost like a Kill Bill revenge thing. Even though he does say that these people are bad because they're ruining this city. Um, because but the issue is it's like so most of these people are like businessmen in the city who also do like crime crime like crime that everybody acknowledges as crime why not just it, these are rich super rich people who like own a bunch of real estate and have pushed people out on the streets like you couldn't really make a show like that where that's the reason why this person deserves to die so they always have to do something else they always have to be mixed up in drug dealing or murder or ex something else like there's they're just this like like actually it almost comes across as like these aren't really you know the good businessmen they're a bunch of criminals who just have taken over business that's so it sometimes comes across as that when really there's not that clear line in real life but i still enjoy the show for what it is which is you know good fun action 45 minutes of action and melodrama like i with um good looking white people <laughs> like I, what's wrong with that it's, it's fine that's what the cw is for that is what the cw is for yeah you know that's what i meant by soften around the edges because originally the list that his father gives him is a list of businessmen that have raped and pillaged through the city and but you're right they start to attach it to drug dealing you know a whole host of things but nonetheless it was sort of a interesting uh show for them to pick up i thought so what are some of your other uh, examples of, of pop culture and politics that are your favorites some of my other examples huh? so uh, besides the purge a um, couple things I, I really like uh certain video games that kind of have a more uh because video with video games 
it's not as top down corporate control. Like there's only like three or four companies that make movies or TV shows now, basically. With video games, it's a little bit more international. It's a little bit, there's smaller companies that can succeed. So one game uh, that I've been playing and my co-host John Daniel Brown has been playing a lot is uh, Red Faction Guerrilla. It's an older game that just got a re-release and you basically play as like, um, you're on Mars, the plan is is controlled by a uh, mega corporation and you're a left-wing terrorist who's blowing up all their stuff and you and the and the more of their stuff you blow up the uh more you advance in the game and and that's just not something you will see in a movie you're not going to see a terrorist generally a left-wing terrorist generally portrayed as like a good guy like i was just watching um like the last mission impossible which i loved which i loved but like the bad guy is a bad guy because he's an anarchist like that's the only like like oh he like they use the word anarchist interchangeably with like serial killer like that's where that the level of complexity of their politics uh going on but in you know red faction guerrilla you are kind of like a, a narco leftist who blows up a bunch of stuff uh blows up all the master's weapons and you know tries to rebuild society from there and so with video games you have a little bit more freedom and and comic books um i think too you have a little bit more freedom i think everybody is familiar with alan moore widely considered the greatest comic book writer of all time and he does have a lot of weird ideas about mysticism and he worships a snake god but he's also a leftist um and you get bit now his his primary concern in any writing is of course the aesthetics he's not a polemical writer generally but there are some exceptions like say v for vendetta which was basically his you know rant against um thatcherism um more or less uh now for some reason that has been co-opted by like libertarians i don't know i'm not really sure i'm not yeah i'm not really sure why it's been co-opted i guess after the movie came out because when the movie was made he was actually really upset because it was kind of shifted into a metaphor about how george w about george w bush even though it was about, you know, his country. He said, if you're going to make an anti-George W. Bush movie, why don't you set it in America and make it, you know, explicit, you know? Why use my stuff to, you know, kind of try to soften the blow? I, and I think he was, he was right about that because that message was kind of lost and that mask has just become like a symbol for like generally being like, um, anti-authority-ish uh, without really a clear ideology um, behind it or even a specific preference or leaning to what that authority that you're mad at is. I agree. Um, so let's talk about the X-Men for a second because I'm of the belief, and you might agree or disagree, but I'm of the belief that they can probably be considered the largest group of progressive superheroes 
because they aren't looking to merely save the world, like a superhero wants to save the world. The X-Men actually want to change the world. They want to make it a better, more egalitarian place. And you see these themes continually running through um, the comics and also with the characters, the way they're created. Do you think that that's um, an authentic way to see it? Or do you have a different viewpoint on that? Ladies and gentlemen, we are now seeing the beginnings of another stage of human evolution. In every human being, there's not many people that will understand people like us. There exists the genetic code. You'll be safe here. What kind of place is this? You're not the only one with gifts. For mutation. The truth is, mutants are very real. And they are among us. We must know who they are, and above all, what they can do. A change is coming. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? And those we fear... Magneto believes that a war is brewing between mutants and the rest of humanity. ...will be all that can save us. If no one is equipped to oppose them, humanity's days could be over. You're a mutant. The whole world out there is full of people that hate and fear you, and you're wasting your time trying to protect them? You sure you're on the right side? I have made the first move. That is all I know. He could wipe out everyone in New York City. Logan, help us. Fight with us. Actually, think that's a really good insight. I haven't really thought of that. Usually, I, when I think about the why the X Men are so different, is because they spend so much time like in fighting with other with other with other mutants who might just be a little bit more radical. But that is kind of a but that is a really interesting insight that they're not really trying. They don't spend most of their time trying to save the world. They're like trying to change it. And, they're trying to be symbols for something better, but it does kind of fall into the trap of respectability. I think politics, like if we're the good, we can show that moon, if we can show that we're the good mutants, then, you know, people um, will like us more. The X-Men, the thing about X-Men is it's just like, it's just such a weird and wild sci-fi soap opera when you really dig down into it. Like, I, I was reading, uh, we did an episode on Days of Future Past, which is, uh, people a lot of people know about that story from the cartoon and the movie, which are actually much better than the comic book, because the comic book's really short, it's not, it, it not really that significant. The most significant thing about the comic book is like the cover. But when you dig in and read to some of the chapters leading up to it, like it's just bizarre. Like all the weird, like psychedelic stuff that goes on in X-Men at this top level, you have what is considered like this, you know, 
really grounded metaphor for oppression in the world. But then when you read, it's like, you know, some, like people are getting transformed, like Storm gets transformed into a child or like Colossus, you know, get lost in another dimension, et cetera, et cetera. Like all, it's just like this really ongoing, like soap, literal soap opera um, going on behind the scenes. But I think when X-Men is as best as something like God Loves Man Kills, um, at least it's best as far as like as a political metaphor. Um, I think that comic by Chris Claremont does a really great job of like illustrating like uh, like it opens up with like two mutant children being lynched, basically. Like it makes it real explicit what's it comparing it to. Now, the problem is they really they drop the ball because they forget that the real world still exists. So like in that in that comic book, right. So the the moon is supposed to be a metaphor for, let's say, um, oppressed minorities, oppressed people. Some. It, but when I was growing up, it was generally considered, you know, black people, uh, Hispanic people. Now people think it's more about LGBTQ. I guess people always thought that, but that's become more the dominant narrative that's about LGBTQ people. Um, but in the comic book, in, in God Loves Man Kills, and it's a great comic book, but there's actually a scene where a black human is talking to Kitty Pride, and you know she Kitty Pride gets in a fight with another non-mutant teenager, and he calls her a mutie or whatever. And the black, you know, woman who's a little bit older who isn't a teenager who's like a, a dance instructor tries to calm her down and say you know he's, he's just a stupid kid it's not that big a deal and then kitty pride turns to her and says oh would it be a big deal if she called you a nigger and it's like okay do you, what so what is the point here like you're trying like if it's supposed to be a metaphor for black people she, like what what's the what is the argument that kitty pride is making their from a writer's perspective it's like so mutants aren't real they're not a real thing like you don't have to shame black people into sympathizing with mutants you're supposed to be using mutants to get empathy for black people or lgbtq people you're not supposed to make black people you're not supposed to be trying to make black people who are reading the comics feel bad you're supposed to be trying to make white people who are reading the comics understand that oh all this oppression you're seeing against the mutants is the same oppression that's happening in the real world and you should take that seriously you shouldn't be trying to get us to take you shouldn't be trying to get us to take mutant oppression more seriously because mutants aren't real but black people are real uh, i agree with that to me when i read the x-men i've always thought as the mutants as a metaphor for those reasons and i don't see how somebody could distort it in the opposite direction yeah um just chris claremont is uh, weird sometimes that's not the first time that's not the only time kitty pride dropped the n-bomb on the black person he's that's not the only time he's dropped he used kitty pride to say the n-word uh to a black person in the comic and always for the and for the same reason like a black guy calls her a beauty so she calls her him the n-word it's like what are, you, what are you trying to get at here i don't understand like maybe he thinks mutants are actually real and that black people aren't taking their plight seriously enough i don't know 
It's just, yeah, it's bizarre. I agree. So I, um, I really like Squirrel Girl, and I think she also consistently displays pro- uh, progressive worldviews. She's a feminist, not like a centrist donut feminist. She's like the real deal. <laughs> um, she defeated Doctor Doom. She became Luke Cage and Jessica Jones' nanny. And I think, interestingly, she has a transgender teammate, Koi Boy, who fights crime alongside her. So she's... Um, I don't see how she can be seen any other way. Are you following the Squirrel Girl series? Welcome to Marvel TLDR, the series where we break down Marvel's greatest stories so you can jump right in and read the original adventures. Today's story is the unbeatable Squirrel Girl. Doreen Green is a college student with a big bushy tail, the proportional physical abilities of a human-sized squirrel, and the ability to talk to actual squirrels. She uses all three of these powers to fight crime as the unbeatable squirrel girl. Dude, did you just give away my secret identity? What? No, I'm just recapping one of your adventures. It's kind of my job. Well, you're not talking to the people in my universe, are you? No. Oh, well then that sounds awesome. Carry on. This is weird. I'm not used to girls being nice to me. Anyway, one day Squirrel Girl, her roommate Nancy, and her squirrel friend Tippy Toe are guarding a bank when it's suddenly attacked by a giant hippo man. Two new heroes, Chipmunk Hunk and Koi Boy, show up to stop him, but Squirrel Girl manages to talk Hippo Man down from his life of crime. People all over New York City start getting into pointless fights. This chaos is the work of Ratatoskr, the squirrel messenger god of Norse mythology, who likes to stir up trouble by mind-controlling people with her wicked words. Squirrel Girl and her friends try to get the Avengers help, but they've already been corrupted by Ratatoskr, so Squirrel Girl has to beat them all up instead. To be fair, they totally deserved it. Mind control made them real jerks. Our heroes go off to fight the evil squirrel god who turns into a giant monster. But Ratatoskr uses her mind control powers to turn Chipmunk Hunk and Koi Boy against Squirrel Girl. Meanwhile, in Asgard, Nancy and Tippy Toe team up with the Thors to find out how Ratatoskr escaped her prison. There are two Thors now! The old Thor lost his arm and hammer and is calling himself Odinson. And the new Thor is secretly his ex-girlfriend Jane Foster, who's become the new wielder of the hammer. But he doesn't know it's her yet! Nancy also runs into to Loki, and he decides to help Squirrel Girl and her friends. Squirrel Girl, Thor, Odinson, and Loki's combined efforts send Ratatoskr back to Asgard and break the mind control spell, saving the world. Also, I stole Spider-Man's web shooters, and Loki had a chat head. We really only try to cover the important details on this show. Those details are extremely important. TLDR, the unbeatable Squirrel Girl is the best comic in the world, and you guys should totally follow me on Tumblr. We can reblock squirrels together. <laughs> Unfortunately, I am not following Squirrel Girl. I think Squirrel Girl started getting popular like after I kind of checked out. I w- after I stopped reading like tons and tons of comics, like Squirrel Girl, Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, there's been a couple of things that have kind of blown up in like the past ten years that I really am shocked by the people like i like i knew like squirrel girl she existed like when i was still reading comics but she wasn't didn't become like a popular character and all of a sudden she just sort of um blew up inside like the comic-con circles with the fan base so i don't know oh. 
it, which is, yeah. I don't know what the trigger was, but, you know, like at Comic-Con this last um, July, there were a lot of Squirrel Girl cosplay going on, a lot of costumes, so she's popular now. But I think it's interesting, because she's definitely one of the more progressive uh, voices in comics, so maybe this is sort of a sign of the times where I think a lot of the millennials are sort of identifying with those values and sort of looking... Uh, looking for things inside media and pop culture to identify with. And she's somebody that sort of fits their value system. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Cause, cause I think with the current generation now, younger people it's much more important for them. Representation is much more, it, it means something different to them than it does that, to me. Like they want characters who like look feel and think like they do a little bit more than my generation i think i think we we wanted you know more opportunities for black people brown people lgbtq people to have you know voices and placement in media but we were i think we were weren't we weren't as concerned with like this person not only looks like me but has my values i think think that that has been a, kind of a new shift lately because sometimes i'll see like kind of blow up like the roseanne thing is like a big is like a big example of this it's like having a tv show with like a trump supporter on it or uh, excuse me oh well i would say having a tv show where the main character was a republican like wouldn't have been like a big deal like during the Bush era, I think. I don't think it would have been nearly like this lightning rod for controversy, but something in the culture has really shifted in such a way that like, ev like you know, that sort of thing is like just not acceptable to a lot of people. And I feel like probably a lot of younger people. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, and she had a history already of, of doing things that were, you know, not, not cool. You know, she had appeared in that magazine and even though it was a Jewish magazine, she was dressed as a Nazi and she was putting Holocaust yes. victims bake like cookies into an oven. It was really offensive when that came out. And I actually didn't realize she was Jewish for a long time because she was actually raised in the Mormon church in Utah. So I was like, what? She's Jewish. Like I thought she was Mormon. But, um, you know, she really crossed the line and then she tried to, her, her tweet was clearly racist. And then she tried to say it was the Ambien. And it's like, yeah, Ambien made you racist? I don't think so. <laughs> you know, I, in, her in, in, in her defense, I will say Ambien, I have seen people do really, say and do really weird shit on Ambien that they don't remember. So it's not, it doesn't make you racist but it may make you say something racist that you wouldn't have otherwise said. So <laughs> you wouldn't have said it in public. <laughs> right. Fair enough. So she thought it normally she'd find her edit button. She lost her edit button, yeah. but she's still a racist, you know? And I just don't think she, I think people with the way with her mentality, don't hear themselves because she probably really at the end of the day doesn't think she's a racist, even though she clearly is. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, 
She definitely doesn't hear it. So, I mean, she's, I mean, and what is she famous for? She's famous for being like an edgy comedian. This is something she's been doing for 30, 40 years. Like the, there are new rules now to what you can do and say as uh, a liberal um James Gunn learned the hard way um very recently. He like the culture has shifted and it and there's certain things you can't say or joke about unless you got like a lot of money uh willing to back you and defend you like you're like it's 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 a different world now. Um like uh, like so we we talk we've been talking a bit about the James Gunn situation on the show and how like he like you can get fired but you can have an actual rapist like um what's his name um all, all actual alt-right rapists like attack you for jokes and get you fired from a job from disney even after you made them like a billion dollars mike cernovich mike cernovich yeah that is it, it's just something it's just something that's so wild to me my friend jdb he's really upset about because he actually likes james gunn I, for one, do not like James Gunn or his work. I am I don't care about him. I think he's going to be fine. But it does not bode well for like people when even somebody who makes Disney a billion dollars is completely expendable in such a way because they own so much and will own more. Um, but within like you know you know, the next couple of months they're buying Fox, they're going to own like 40% of the media. It's probably not a good precedent to set, to set that even like someone who's, you know, gotten all of those executive boards, like five or six extra yachts can be fired just because of a smear campaign from Mike Cernovich. There's, I hear what you're saying. And the same thing happened to Sam Cedar where they pulled up that tweet of irony and said that he was a pedophile. But I, at the same yeah. time, look, I can see somebody using an ironic statement in this way, but I, I, I agree with you. I think James Gunn did cross the line with what he said, and I think Roseanne Barr did, did as well. And I guess, but the, on the flip side of that, I guess the other concern is, is um, the conversation about whether it's better to know how people actually think and deal with it in that capacity or it is to silence them and they still continue thinking that way, but maybe it festers. So I think the case can be made for the second, which is why, you know, we, to speak about the whole situation with Alec Jones that happened yesterday, this is not a hill I'm going to die on. I think that Alex Jones was banned from these platforms because he doxxed, he threatened, he harassed, he violated the terms of service. I don't think this was necessarily because of his right-wing opinion. But I still also understand why there would be a concern about corporations, three of them all at one time, doing this thing and how that could possibly set some sort of a slippery slope precedent. So I see both sides of that conversation. But I think the main thing to take away from that is leftists have always been silenced and then where has the outrage yeah. been for that african americans have yeah. always been silenced where was the outrage for that why is alex jones the poster child all of a sudden for the hill we're gonna die on in this capacity when it's been going on for a long time i'm not saying that justifies it but i do understand that point of view Everyone's having deadly vaccines pushed on them. Vegas is as phony as 
a $3 bill or is Obama's birth certificate. Aliens, mass poisoning, the Queen's supposed conversion to Islam. Nothing is off limits or implausible for Alex Jones, the right-wing radio host based in Texas, who commands the attention of millions of Americans each week through his website, InfoWars. Sandy Hook is a synthetic, completely fake... He's known for spreading wild theories, including a debunked story that the Sandy Hook school shooting was fabricated and that the Democrats ran a child abuse ring out of a pizza restaurant. But it wasn't for fake news that Apple banned his podcasts on Sunday. A company spokesperson said it was for hate speech, though they didn't cite a particular piece of content. Facebook, Spotify and YouTube quickly followed on Monday, also citing hate speech. Today, Twitter came under fire for saying it would not be following suit. CEO Jack Dorsey tweeted Alex Jones had not broken the site's rules. You know, the funny thing is, it's always going to be a right winger because no leftist can ever get as big a platform or as much support as these right wingers can get. So when any of us gets banned, like it doesn't really it doesn't reverberate. So like it's always going to be a right winger. It's always because they actually, you know, uh, support each other, build each other up, follow each other money etc etc like um and you know if they ban you or me or like the like our families will be upset our friends will be upset and that's kind of it there's nothing else exactly <laughs> right because i was actually i had my youtube channel terminated in that massive purge they had a year and a half ago i still don't even know the reason why and you know i don't it sucked there was no i mean people were a little upset about the entire thing that went down but I don't I wouldn't paint it as a free speech issue. I still have my free speech and I'm using it. But I do think we have to look at the way corporations behave in the world. And I think it's a problem of monopolies. I think it's a problem of regulatory capture. And I think it's a problem of our box. I mean, we can go down the list of things that have led us to this place. And it, those are the things we should be concerned about in the bigger picture, I think. Yeah, like we we came down on the side like the problem is that everybody visits like three websites and that shouldn't be the case. Like if you want to get stuff, you shouldn't just go to Twitter, Facebook and YouTube like there should it should be more diverse. Like if you want Alex Jones, you just now you just go to Infowars.com and that's probably a good thing. That's probably how it should have always been like yeah it's nice to connect with each other on these social media sites but i think it might be better if just like you have to type in a bunch of different urls to get stuff maybe instead of just like twitter maybe if all us leftists who are talking to each other and communicating with each other and work with each other maybe if we were just on like one message board you know one big message board maybe maybe that would be a little bit better than us having to share the same space with um, Zach Posebiak, Alex Jones, um, all the Nazis, all the hipster Nazis, all that shit. Maybe we shouldn't be, all be on the same website together. Yeah, no, I think it's a fair um, criticism. And I'm uh, Michael Salomon started the Media Revolt social media site for progressives. I don't know if you're on there, but um, I'm trying to get people to sign up for his site because that's exactly what it is. And he has he has private uh, rooms in there where you can discuss stuff that's uh, only going to be seen by the people in that room because obviously the way they have the website up, it's not collecting information, selling ads, spying, or doing any of those things. So so I think that's a really good point that you're making. 
Um, let's talk about Luke Cage for a second, because I freaking love the Netflix series. I don't know if you've been watching it. Um, do you f- do you like that show, or do you think it holds true to the comic book series? I think um, I'd love to hear your opinion on that, because I think it's done a pretty good job of staying true to the comic book. Still not sure what I am. I'm just living my life, day to day. You should be out there helping people. You think I asked for any of this? I was put in some tank like an exotic fish. Came out with abilities. I just want to be left the hell alone. Well, that would be a waste. Harlem. Perpetual symbol of hope and prosperity. Too much happens in the shadows. People fear what they can't see. This place is our reputation, our legacy, our blood. Hit every businessman, squeeze them hard. Everybody wants to be the king. Sometimes if you want justice, you have to get it yourself. Hungry arms. arms. Give us the money. I don't like your tone. (laughs) You have my word, ma'am. I've got you. You want to go to war? I'll take you to war. You might be bulletproof, but Harlem ain't. This city is supposed to represent our hopes and dreams. Fight for what's right every single day. Yeah, my heart is full of you. Why don't you just tell us your name? The whole neighborhood is yapping about how two goons got the beat down last night. I heard it was four guys. <laughs> You, you know, honestly, I don't really enjoy any of the Netflix shows. And, and, and it's not just it's not just specific to it's not just specific to Luke Cage. It's the problem I have with literally almost all the shows on there. It's like so with Netflix, they're built for binge watching, which means you just watch it all in one straight sweep. Um, but there's there there's this ongoing storyline, but there's like no villain of the week episodes. They don't edit down their episodes to 43 minutes they let them go for 55 56 minutes like there's scenes in those each every episode where if this was airing on network tv it probably wouldn't have been filmed like they wouldn't have bothered because there's no reason to have the scene in there scenes go on too long there's too much talking in rooms too many fights there in hallways it it, i it but that's not specific to it's not specific to luke cage but it's it's like all of them so i really couldn't i i got through daredevil 
I did a little bit of Jessica Jones. I did a little bit of Luke Cage. I did a little bit of Punisher. But none of them really, like, held my attention in the same way that compared to, like, a CW show where they have more external shots. They have more they have more villain of the week stuff there's there's multiple plot lines that begin and end you know with throughout the season as opposed to each season being one day. like the like the best example i have is like if you watch the trailer for the punisher series that looks like one badass movie it doesn't look like a 13 episode series so I, 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 it's just I don't really like the aesthetic choices. Besides, you know Rosario Dawson, who is amazing and everything, and she lights up the screen every time she's on one of those uh, shows. Uh, Shouts to Rosario, please come on Struggle Session. But I, I, I'm not is I'm not a huge fan of Netflix's, you know how Netflix does things and make shows and they're making so many shows it's actually be becoming kind of a problem because they'll have a show that has like a really interesting concept like altered carbon but like there's a netflix vacation of the show that even though it's like it's a cyberpunk show like i love cyberpunk it's a cyberpunk show starring an actor i i like um they actually spend a lot of money on it which they don't on most of the shows and I still like didn't watch past the first episode because the first episode was just like a teaser for the rest of the season, and I just couldn't deal with it. But please tell me your thoughts on Luke Cage. <laughs> no, I get that. So your your issue is that it's designed for binge watching, and you're not wrong. And it is like it's like watching a five hour movie broken down into segments. So yeah, I agree with that. It doesn't have the same sort of um, story structure, et cetera, that a network show would have. All right. That's fair. But I just love Luke Cage. <laughs> you know, I really like that act. I like that actor. I think he needs, I think the problem with him is Luke Cage is he has to go tea when he should have the full beard. I think he looks a lot. Uh, he looks a lot better with the full beard. I think. I, that's fair <laughs> well and then let's talk about black lightning because that's definitely more of a network show with the that has more more of the storylines that you're discussing i was really excited when i saw the pilot the premiere series series premiere i should say um was fantastic because it had our nina turner in it playing herself old neighborhood of friedland to turn it around and when graduation rates now in the 90s Jefferson does it all with the help of an outstanding faculty and his family. His oldest daughter, Anissa, is a medical school student and teaches three days a week at the school as a health educator. His younger daughter, Jennifer, is a standout scholar athlete just like her father. Well, I was about to leave. And yes. it also had Roland Martin appearing, and he was in this news clip. And I'm not sure how many people caught this, but in the news clip, Martin states... Uh, that other cities have superheroes, but that it's Freeland's African-American Black Lightning that is the one that's solely treated like a criminal. So it's sort of, so they were clearly there making activist political statements inside the series, um, maybe a little bit nuanced because it was in a news clip or Nina Turner was, you know, introducing him at the beginning segment and she played herself as a politician. But I thought that was pretty incredible. Um, what were your thoughts on that? Have you been watching Black Lightning? 
I watched a little bit of it, and my fa- and a lot of black people were watching. Like a lot of black people, talk, they know I'm into like comic book superheroes. Like, oh man, you gotta watch Black Lightning, Black Light. So I kind of like that it's become like instead of just a comic book show, it's become like a black show, like a empire. You know, it's because kind of yeah. I don't think it ever it got to the height of like season one Empire, but it is cool that um, there's so, there's some black nerd culture coming out one thing i didn't like was that he's the principal of a charter school that's one one thing i i I don't really like about the show but other than that like i like it for for the same reason i like arrow like they're fun shows and this has a little bit of of blackness to good looking black people running around and doing action which is what we used to have upn for but now they're one cw so they do both um like like in the first episode like his daughter gets arrested for protesting and he gets pulled over for like a uh a crime he didn't commit like all cut like it it makes clear that like like because the there's a central like flaw with like superheroes as, as like progressives or leftists or socialists and it's that when you really think about it, all superheroes are are cops who aren't accountable. Like at the at the in, at the heart of the superhero myth is that element. So you have to do a lot to work against that, and or or you just kind of ignore that element, and you just have the superheroes fight supervillains. That kind of takes it away from that. But whenever you have super, but you're not gonna do. You can't do that on like a network TV show. They're gonna be fighting, you know, gangsters and drug dealers, and especially if it's a black show, he's gonna have to deal with black on black violence, of course. Um, so you have to really establish that okay maybe there's something more complicated you have to establish that like if black people don't see you know cops as the heroes you need to establish that before you introduce your superhero explain that he's coming back because there's a problem with the cops that's actually what um alan uh, what frank miller who went through a little bit of a manic right-wing phase after 9-11 but before that in Batman year one, he kind of established that like one of the reasons Batman became Batman was because all the cops in Gotham were crooked. That the, And so like crooked as in like they were taking money from the mob, like not crooked as in they were shooting unarmed suspects necessarily. But, you know, I got to give him a few points for that, for at least p- pointing out that like and he did this in The Dark Knight Returns too, like Batman beats up a lot of cops in that comic book. Um, so it, 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 even though he's, you know, has a white billionaire superhero putting him against the cops at least that's something. I'll as a leftist, I'll take it. Um, I never really thought deeply on that, but you're. In, interestingly, I always thought of Batman as being totally more to the right, but you know what? That's that's actually true. His beef was that they were corrupt. Um, so yeah, that's interesting. What about Wonder Woman? Um, I have mixed feelings on Wonder Woman. Do you think she's more of one of these centrist Puma feminists? who really isn't a feminist out there today, or do you think she's the real deal? She was one of the first female superheroes, using her bulletproof bracelets and super speed to ward off bad guys. Now she is again breaking new ground as an honorary United Nations ambassador. Her strength meant to inspire women and girls around the globe to stand up for equal rights. 
Gal Gadot and Linda Carter, two actresses who played her, were on hand for the ceremony, which coincided with Wonder Woman's 75th birthday. Wonder Woman is being asked to take on a new role as the United Nations ambassador to empower girls and women around the world. So, please embrace her. But not everyone has. UN staff members joined in silent protest before the event, and more than 1,000 people have signed a petition saying the UN can do better than a scantily clad American flag-wearing fictional character. I just think that Wonder Woman is not a representation of all women and girls in the world. She's a representation of a very small amount of women and girls, and she's also a cartoon character. There are plenty of amazing women and girls alive today and throughout history that would make much better ambassadors for women and girls around the world. Michelle Obama will be, well, maybe available soon. Yes. <laughs> the UN has defended the choice, saying she's meant to appeal to young girls, many of whom were on hand for her unveiling. No one is saying that uh, this fictional character is to appeal to everyone and is to represent every woman and, or every man. Every, it is to appeal to, to a certain audience. But some say Wonder Woman isn't the hero girls need now, and her role as an ambassador reduces the serious issues facing women around the world to a cartoon. Kristen Salumi, Al Jazeera, the United Nations. So I, the conception of Wonder Woman I like is basically like Xena, warrior princess. Like Xena isn't left or right or center. She has a moral compass and she follows that. She's willing to kill if it if it gets the job done, if it's willing to help people. But she's so focused on like the immediate problem at hand that she doesn't necessarily have a larger ideology because she doesn't live in that, a world of, that has the luxury of I ideology. It's just life and death out, out there in ancient Greece. You know, it's just, you know, powerful versus the powerless. And she's always going to help the powerless against the powerful. Now, you could look at that as like, a socialist metaphor but like you know she helps the person against it she kills the king and then she leaves town she doesn't kill the king and then you know form a collective you know just to get the farming done and redistribute the wealth no she just kills the king she kills the evil king and then she leaves town so it, it and that's like how i see wonder woman just this warrior princess going around helping the helpless but not really having a bigger idea of what a society uh, should be because uh, she's, she, uh, it, I just don't really think that's, that's what her character should be. Even because whenever the, people do try to write her in this larger context, like they, it, it creates like contradictions. Like she's supposed to be for peace. They always portray her as like, she's like a, she works for the UN or whatever. And she's like, she wants world peace. She wants to end all war. I'm like, you and your boy Superman could do that if you wanted to, if you really, really wanted to, you could do that um, overnight, basically, if you wanted to take over. War. And in some comic books, she has done exactly that. And she has more of an authoritarian streak. She has more of a, um, a bitterness about her that sometimes, you know, is reflected in the comics where uh, Superman also becomes an authoritarian, too. They become kind of bitter with the flaws of humanity and they just take over. Um, I also like I also kind of like that Wonder Woman, too. But I think I generally don't think like she ha would have an opinion 
on like Hillary versus Bernie. Like I, I can't imagine her, her having like a real, she, her thought would be more like, like she's more interested in like, um, if, if she was political, her thing would be like, you know, beating up like the protesters outside of an abortion clinic. She's not going to be going to Washington and saying we need universal health care, right? Like that's more like she's more of a how her where her her mind is at. I think is more of like the immediate fight as opposed to the long term solution. No, and I think that's a good way to look at it. The reason I bring it up is because you always see on Twitter these centrist donut feminist Clintonites with with Superwoman as their avatar, and it's like really. And then it makes me think about um, the way she's perceived. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, because it's just like, it's just like is this corporate feminism, you know, like the little girl just standing next to the bull. It's like just this this symbology behind, you know, of course, white um, womanhood and white feminism. And even though like most white women voted the other way, um, from these people, they've kind of taken the symbology of Wonder Woman, uh, of a couple other characters, and said, "All right, uh, Princess Leia too." They've done the same thing with Princess Leia, and it's like there's not like Wonder Woman is at best a confusing character politically. Like there's only so much about ideology you can assign to her or almost any superhero because the what the fundamental nature of superhero comics is they're written by left they're written by liberals conservatives left-wingers right-wingers all the same characters all the same chronology all, all the same canon all these different voices writing them it's not like manga where you have one visionary behind each of these characters who knows from start to finish where this character is going, who this character is. No, you have hundreds, thousands of people have written Wonder Woman. There's no such thing as a Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman is whoever who WB uh, Warner Brothers hires to write her at that specific moment. That's who she is. That's what she becomes. She doesn't have a good, firm, solid uh, character that you can put your ideals on, which is actually, um, and like when people try to do that, it's always like folly. And and it's folly for because the WB owns her, right? Like this, you know, massive corporation owns her. I don't, like you, your ideology should be a little bit bigger than a cartoon character owned by a corporation. Yeah, that's true. And I think the same is, uh, you have me now thinking about Catwoman because so many different writers have taken on the Catwoman mantle that she's had all of these different various personifications. And there was a few years back when, um, Oh, yeah, Genevieve Valentine. She made Catwoman bisexual, and there was this whole ruckus that came out over Catwoman being bisexual. Um, I don't know. Did you remember that? It was, like, I think around 2015. You know, I actually didn't uh, hear about that one. Like, that doesn't surprise me, though, like, um, that Catwoman would be portrayed as bisexual. I think that's it's kind of... A cliche because she's always portrayed as 
overtly sexual as a character at least not always but in the past you know at least since michelle pfeiffer right um she's always been portrayed as an extremely sexual character and anytime you have an extremely sexual female character like her and especially one who's not necessarily a heroic figure who has you know flaws and negative traits it's no problem to make her bisexual that's not saying that bisexual people have flaws that's just how media works well she's not you know the face she's not the face of the company she's not the biggest thing she has a little bit of edge to her so it's okay to you know have her have an actual like sexuality to her when other characters would never be allowed uh to uh would never be allowed by the corporation that own these comp uh these characters for that to happen yeah that's true um and of course it's always the religious right that kind of spazzes gets really upset about it because they think you're trying to um, change political discourse to influence children and then now they're you know blah 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 so yeah it makes sense and it's so weird because like children don't read comic books anymore so what are you worried about they're reading manga that's a lot that's a lot more lgbtq friendly you should be worried about that that's true. Um, so I'm really excited about Spike Lee's new movie that's coming out. I, th I think it actually hasn't been released yet. It's coming out on the 10th, I believe. Um, it's uh, The Black Klansman, and it's basically the story of a black man that infiltrates the Klan. His name is Ron Stallworth, and he works together with um, – he's a police detective. He works together with a white police detective, and together they become this character uh, that infiltrates – the clan and um so i don't want to do any spoilers on it the film's fantastic it's spike lee at his best everybody needs to go see this but there is um there's a scene in the trailer that um is really telling because ron calls david duke up on the phone and uh <laughs> <laughs> i don't have you seen the trailer it's really funny because he's yes david duke's played by um uh uh the guy from that 70s show yeah 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 <laughs> There's never been a black cop in this city. We think you might be the man to open things up around here. Hello, this is Ron Stallworth calling. Well, who am I speaking with? This is David Duke. Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. That David Duke? God. Last time I checked. What can I do you for? Well, since you asked, I hate blacks. I hate Jews, Mexicans, and Irish, Italians, and Chinese. But my mouth to God's ears, I really hate those black rats. And anyone else, really, that doesn't have pure white Aryan blood running through their veins. I'm happy to be talking to a true white American. God bless white America. The KKK is planning an attack. How do you propose to make this investigation? We'll establish contact over the phone. We'll need a white officer to play me when they meet face to face. You for the white race, Ron? Oh, hell yeah. So there becomes a combined Ron Stalwart. Can you do that? With the right white man, we can do anything. When's the last time they let a rookie lead an investigation? Oh, that's right. Never. <laughs> okay. Become his friend. Let's get invited back. So what kind of stuff you guys do? Cross burdens, marches. This is fixing to be a big year for us. You ask too many questions. You undercover or something? We must unite and organize to fight 
racism. Are you down for the liberation of black people? Power to the people. All power to all the people. All power to all the people. It's right system. For you, it's a crusade. For me, it's a job. You're Jewish. That hatred, doesn't that piss you off? You're taking this Jew lie detector test. Why are you acting like you ain't got skin in the game? I'm telling you, the wars are coming. Black power! Black power! Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. That's us. Stallworth Brothers. We're on a roll, baby. America first. America first. America first. If I would have known this was a clan, I wouldn't have taken this mother. <laughs> so he's saying to David Duke, like, oh yeah, fuck the, you know, N-word, fuck the, like, and the Jew, like, he's saying all these horrible things, and the rest of the, the police detectives sitting in the bullpen all start turning around and looking at him. <laughs> what are you, who are you talking to? Um, anyway, but there's this really poignant scene, and part of it's in the trailer, so I feel like we can talk about it a little bit. But there's a poignant scene where he calls up the white detective. He calls him out on um, the way he's handling the situation because he's Jewish, and and Ron says to him, "You have skin in the game. Why aren't you acting like you have skin in the game?" Why are you so removed and telling me I'm the one that's on my mission when it's your people that are also being hated on too? And in my universe, you would be um, considered as a light-skinned black person that's passing. Anyway, it's a really poignant scene. Um, so you, ha you haven't seen the film, so I guess we can't really talk. And we don't want to give any spoilers out there. But are you, um, do you have any thoughts on, on black Klansmen that you would want to share? You know, I, it does look interesting because it looks really funny. I, I like that it has a, a, a comedic tone. Some people uh, have criticized it for portraying the Klan as, you know, these clownish, funny figures when, of course, they've in history, they have been clownish, but they also have been extremely terrifying, the most terrifying thing in all of America at times. But I think with film, like, you have to have both sides. You, you can show both sides of that, you know, like there's been you know, comedic betrayals of, say, Nazis to point out what buffoons they are and how ridiculous they are and, like, and also ones that betray what monsters they are. And you kind of have to do, like, you, you got to do both, really. You got to you gotta mock your enemy and, and also show how dangerous they are. Like, there there's a fight. And all those, ta you, it's a, you need a plurality of, like, tactics, basically. And I think uh, Spike Lee, with this kind of quirky story, has picked an interesting um, tone uh, to set. And, and I'm interested in uh, seeing it generally. It actually has me excited to see something with Adam Driver in it, which is very difficult to do, especially after uh, Last Jedi. But it, lo it looks pretty cool. I hope there's a lot of Topher Grace's David Duke in it, though, but I don't think there is. It just seems seems like perfect casting. <laughs> yeah, I really like Topher Grace. And David, yeah, and David Duke. I have a long history with David Duke because my first memory of politics is when David Duke ran and almost became governor of the state of Louisiana. And I was like one of a couple of uh, black kids in my class. And like we're all trying to figure out how like and like we're 
like we were like in fourth or fifth grade, but we were in gifted. So we all pretended to know about politics and shit and like having those political conversations. Well, my white classmates, uh, yeah, that really, um, affected me like early, early on. Yeah. He's a scary guy, but, um, and I think, I think you're right about having to have these folks have a human side to them. Otherwise nobody would watch the film or care. Um, so even though they're very flawed human beings, they're still human beings. And you're right. Most of them are complete idiots. They're intellectually bankrupt, even though they think they're the master race. It's kind of amazing, really. The reason that they never succeeded is because they're not as smart as they think they are. <laughs> just <saying>. Yes. <laughs> you know, there actually is a lot. If you go back and listen, there is a Superman radio show from like the 1940s where they actually got some inside information about the clan and how they worked and they put it in the episode because in the in in the um in the radio drama because superman was fighting the clan like imagine how controversial that would be now but like in he was doing this like in the 1930s 1940s and it was it he made them look like buffoon dangerous buffoons dangerous buffoons but nevertheless buffoons because he they exposed all their cold words and their and people were just like what the fuck are these people on? Like uh, we knew they were racist, but we didn't know they were stupid too. And like, it really hurt the clan to have them portrayed this way. It, um, so, you know, there's a history of this, you know, that type of betrayal actually helping to um, combat them. Uh, you know, and so I have to say as, as a white person, I, I think racist by definition are stupid because you have to buy into a lot of stupid beliefs in your premise structure in order to reach the conclusions that you reach. So I'm, I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> yeah. Like I actually saw somebody, uh, I think somebody I like he would, they were on Twitter is like, you know, racists aren't illogical. They're just racist. I'm like, no, we don't have to sacrifice. Daryl is the logical. Like there's no rational basis to like even take race seriously more than as a socio sociological like construct result of how we've constructed society race in the you know general term is actually not a real thing like like I, like the metaphor that always helps helps me is like like you know like if aliens came to this planet and looked at us they would have as hard a time telling a white human being from a black human being as like the average person would have telling the difference between like two different types of ants right like like we have many 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 more similarities across all our quote-unquote races you're preaching to the choir. I don't know if you know, I have a book coming out <clears throat> on scientific racism. Oh, wow. I did my master's thesis on the subject and everything you said is correct. It's an 18th century concept of science attacks us. Uh, that as we've now decoded the human genome, we know there's no such thing as race. It's um, completely a social construct. But that doesn't change the fact that people have believed in it and, and they've been egged on by by racist scientists that have told them all kinds of crazy things because they want to believe what they want to believe. 
But here we are in 2018, and, and we're still trying to deal with the social and political ramifications of that. You know, and what, there was a guy that was trolling me on Twitter over this, and of course the one thing they always go to is, well, then you don't believe in things like affirmative action. And I'm like, yes, I do. And they're like, well, that's contradictory. No, it's not. If, if a society believes in a myth and that belief in, in that myth causes real damage in the world, we should still do something to fix the damage the belief in the myth has caused. That doesn't mean that the myth still isn't a myth. You know what I'm saying? Yes, absolutely. So, anyway, um, totally agree with you on that. And, you know, so let's talk about the alt-right for a second, because it's not just progressive politics that can identify with things in pop culture. Obviously, the alt-right does as well. And there's, I've seen an increase recently over the last, I'd say, year and a half of, um, and I'm pretty sure this group sort of became organically formed on 4chan, but there's a group of yeah. alt-writers that are now using anime. Um, they use anime characters as their avatars. They use anime characters in their memes. Um, I even had one of these guys troll me a couple weeks ago, and he had an anime character that was Sig Heiling, which is kind of disturbing. Um, so it's like anime Nazis. Uh, where do you think... And if you... I guess what... I find very contradictory about this is because I don't see anime as a media form as being conducive to alt-right belief systems. Yeah, it, it really doesn't because it is a Japanese art form and Japan has a much more like small-esque socialist idea of society than alt-right does. Individualism um, is not as it's not as praised there. Um, they have universal health care, of course. But I, I, I guess, you know, certain forms of Nazism do like a collective. They just want the collective to just be white. Um, so it, maybe, that, maybe that's not such a big contra contradiction. I guess it depends on the type of Nazi you're talking about. Like if you're more a libertarian Nazi, authoritarian Nazi. But like, so it's it, 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 it's been going on for a couple of years and it always struck me as really weird like one like you know because they are is japanese product with portraying japanese people in japanese society why would these nazis like glom onto this two they always have really bad taste in anime they never have our avatars <laughs> from like good anime they have av avatars from like the modern degenerate anime like the anime that's you know low budget low quality like not the old school cool shit but like akira or whatever uh but like really like bad modern anime and 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 so like i've been trying to figure out so it did kind of grow like organically from 4chan so it was i think really what happened was like there was a lot of people like anime on 4chan and a lot of like angry young white men on 4chan with kind of right-wing beliefs and these just kind of form like a Voltron of garbage and that that's kind of what happened I think after the fact it's been kind of explained for a few reasons like of course um, Japan was allied with the Nazis during World War II in part um, because one well not I, I don't know if this is the cause of the why they became allies but it was certainly one of the issues that Japan had with some of the European powers was that they felt that they were not treated 
they were treated as a colored country instead of a white country. Japan saw themselves as a, uh, at least the rulers did, saw themselves as a white country who should be treated as a white country. They were the colonizers, not the colonized, okay? that That's what how they saw themselves. And so they felt that they were white. Now that probably sounds ludicrous um, to most white, uh, I mean, uh, to most Nazis probably <laughs> in their hard art. They don't want to admit that but you know that's how they were and they were allied with the nazis and so that um that's one aspect of it um another aspect of it is japan is like a almost a monoculture of course there's diversity within japan that's often underplayed especially in the western media but if you look at just the numbers which of course that's all a nazi will do a stupid nazi will do especially um 99 of japan is ethnically japanese right so there's been this idea that they 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 go on to Japan because they're kind of Japan is like a model of what they want their country to be. They just want it to be like ninety nine percent white. Of course, you know when you look at that ninety nine percent Japanese, it's more comp it's much more complicated than that. And of course, Japan is like a modern like country. Lots of immigrants, lots of cultures coming in, lots of cultural appropriation because they're. Uh, uh, their their former empire. So when you go to Japan, you just don't just see Japanese stuff. You see Korean stuff. You see Chinese stuff. You see curry shops everywhere, everywhere. It's, especially in the cities, like 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 you see you know every all these mix of culture. You see Jamaican clubs everywhere. You see Nigerians everywhere. You see you know a you see a lot of diversity in the cities at the very very least and all these cultures coming in like Japan did, even their beloved anime those big eyes didn't come from Japan necessarily from Japan they came from American cartoons and then were replicated in Japanese animation um, and people some people don't understand that like so Japan so this idea of Japan as this like pure um, mono monoracial culture is just you know bullshit that you know the nazis haven't been after the fact to justify the fact that they just like you know really shitty terrible usually perverted anime i think that's true and you you, you lived in japan for a period right yeah i lived there for four years and uh i really really uh enjoyed and and loved it i loved a lot of things about uh, japan there is certainly not a perfect country so it has tons and tons of problems but um and they even have their own like right-wing fascist like movement and they and it's so funny it's so funny because when you because you know and there is a foreign community in japan there's a lot of established like foreigners there and so and but you're still a minority there and that's hard for white people to deal with to go the, over there and deal with the fact that people when you sit down on a train sometimes people will move away from you that people will pretend like you're not there that you will be treated almost as bad as a black person is treated in his home country of america that you came from like right like you you almost get treated as ba that bad and so it too there's a few ways that white people react to this some people, you know, grow up and say, 
hey, you know what? This is how people, other how people of color, uh, well, non-white people are treated in my country, and you know, I'll learn from this. Some people just it drives them, you know, batshit, and it's like, and of the injustice of it all, which is, you know, it is unjust and it is fucked up. But some people can go a little bit overboard where like every microaggression becomes the biggest deal in the world and J Japanese people are suddenly the most racist people in the world and they completely forget about the oppression that happens every day in the country where they're from to people who were born and raised there and know no other home as opposed to someone who come to another country and is, then is discriminated against and the third way is to like say you know what it's actually good that all these foreigners are oppressed it's fine in fact it's a great thing and like the fascists have a point and like I, and i actually see white people like take this stance they are white people living in japan supporting the far-right racists in japan who don't want them there who want white people to leave but it as but people's I don't know what it is, it, but as but some people, even if the the fascists want to kill you, they'll still si kill them. They'll still side with the fascists. Whiteness is a hell of a drug. Um, so there's also that element of the anime Nazis. Like they'll think that yeah, I really want to visit Japan. I also agree with the all the people who say white pigs go home. I I don't understand how you thread that needle, but some people do. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Leslie. I was, um, as a white person that spends some time in Japan, I lived there for two months in the early 90s. So this was quite a long time ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think it's probably changed a lot since I was there. I, um, it, yeah, it was an experience. And, it, and you are all of a sudden the minority. This is all very true. I never felt threatened by it, but that's because... I'm probably not your best exemplar of, of um, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I tend to feel comfortable in most situations because um, I don't tend to really think of things in terms of, oh, shit, I'm all of a sudden the minority or the, like, you know what I mean? I just see people as people. I was very lucky to have amazing parents that raised me in a very open environment I had lesbian babysitters and they have all kinds of friends so but anyway um I think you're correct that a lot of people that I uh, would run into did sort of have that reaction and it puzzled me because I'm like well then what are you doing in Japan <laughs> 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 then go home stay home don't come here don't experience other cultures even though these are people that these are folks that would probably um, benefit the most from those experiences but I do have this one funny story there was this uh, Mexican restaurant in Ropungi in this area of Tokyo and after like six weeks of Japanese food I was like I need Mexican food I'm a Californian I need a burrito damn it <laughs> so I go to this Mexican <laughs> restaurant it was it was so bad <laughs> It was not Mexican food. But the crux of it was I ordered a margarita. They had margaritas on the menu. And so we, the margarita comes, and it was so disgusting. They had made it with sake. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. 
So, so anime Nazis, that's the beautiful monoculture you're buying into. Like, like the, the, the best thing about it is like most Japanese people like really don't view, like they don't view their culture as like special or significant or superior in any way. Of course they have, everybody has their biases and their bullshit. But when it comes down to it, most Japanese people are bewildered that anyone outside of japan gives a shit about anything happening in japan like they are like that's the number one response that's the number one response when i t when i when i would be talking to people and be like oh yeah i like this anime oh yeah i like this pro wrestler and they were like really like like why like we're just japan we're just a small island why does anybody care <laughs> right right i thought you know i enjoyed my time there what year were you there I was there from 2012 to 2015. Oh, so recently. 2016. I'd be curious to see, um, to go back to Japan and see the changes from the time I was there because I think, um, <clears throat> I think it's probably a lot more open now than what it used to be. I mean, you, literally, people would stare at me when I walked down the street, like stare, like, what is that? <laughs> like, is yeah, it it happens. It happens, especially if you're in a city. Probably not so much, especially now. But if you're in like the small towns, it'll happen. It'll happen. Kids will follow you. Try to talk. People will come up and talk to you and uh, to practice their English. I I never had a problem with it. I always liked it. Some white people get so so mad about it though. It's like it, like it just dry. Is yeah so. So as long you should know that going in, uh, but yeah, I, I enjoyed my time there, even though even there, like the most racist experiences I usually had were still with white people somehow. Like I would like see white people walking around like in like the foreigner just in like Rapungi where like tons and tons of foreigners live, and I would ask people for directions and they would just ignore me, like pretend like they didn't understand or speak English. I'm like. What the fuck? Like the cops are nicer in Japan. Were nicer to me than like random white people, probably from the same country I am. Oh, <laughs> they probably are. We, you know, so ingrained in our culture even now in 2018, it's unbelievable. Um, but I think you're right, and I hadn't really thought about the Nazi connection as far as World War II is concerned. And you know, that was um, that was a tenuous relationship because the, the obviously the Nazis did see the Japanese as an inferior race. Um, but yeah. they but they had a common enemy, which sort of allowed them to become allies. But, you know, you would think on a certain level that the Japanese would have been more um, understanding of what the, how the Nazis saw them. But maybe they just didn't care. They had a common enemy sort of thing. But maybe that does explain it. But I, I'm still a little bit baffled about it because I don't see anime... Um, culturally speaking or from a story perspective as as entirely it just seems like a counterintuitive relationship but it's it's a thing yeah yeah because when you dive in the anime like half like half the time like the story is just about friendship and working together with other people and like it like it's not really uh like even like act like that even is the case in like action anime and stuff like that like the the end goal is like to resolve conflict in 
a peaceful way with the help of your fellow man like that's that's the japanese mindset that's the japanese way which is much different than you know the american we were talking about superheroes where you know the point is to you're this one lone badass hero who's going to defeat the bad guy single-handedly like that's not how like most japanese japanese uh uh media and culture like shakes out <laughs> like that's that's not how it works it's about and so there's also a lot of um especially if you're talking about like you know, samurai anime or whatever there's these ideas about you know honor and duty um to your lord and culture and all this stuff that like has no has no like real western analog like i i i, I but i do wonder if like we're going to see like nazi like samurai want to be soon because they they kind of latched on to like the viking mythos like are they going to start saying that like they're they're ronin now or whatever like i don't know these people don't make any sense they're just looking for some kind of kind of identity to latch on to that makes them look cool and but as we saw in portland there's nothing they can do to really uh, make that happen make them no, did you cool. see this oh yeah it's you just... retweeted it the video of the two fascists one's got a uh pino shit that's what i call him I should... That's what I call. I just realized I said my nickname for him. Did nothing wrong, and then the other guy has all of his armor on, and they're doing the cha cha yeah. slide. What the fuck? The, the cha cha slide, like, because it, it's so fun. It's because you know these people will often say things like "Black people have no culture," but like, no, the truth is you have no culture without black people. Like, you don't know what to, you don't know what to do at your Nazi rally without copying black folk. It's just, it's, it's so sad and so funny, but it almost, you know, it almost gives me hope. It almost makes me think that maybe that, you know, piece of garbage somewhere deep down knows that all he's pretending to be is bullshit. And at the end of the day, he's going to take all that garbage off and just become a human being again. Like I, I, it goes, gives me some little hope. Yeah. Because the irony of the whole thing, you're watching this and you're like, does, is the irony lost on these two idiots? I mean, I, 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 you know, everybody goes, we always, everybody goes through phases. Like you go through a golf phase, you go through a punk phase. Maybe the thing is some people go through a Nazi phase. Maybe that's just what, where we're, where we're at now. And, I guess, I guess so. You just go through a Nazi phase and you um, get over it eventually. I have to laugh because it's so fucking insane. Um, I, you know, I just, I thought we saw the end of Nazism before. And, you know, and I had remember started banging the drum around <clears throat> mid-2016 that there was an increase in neo-Nazi activity. And I had... A lot of my African-American friends are like, nah, we're fine. There's no increase. It's not coming back. You know, Obama was a president eight years. They go through the list of things, and I'm like, no, you, the, I'm telling you, there's a massive increase. And sure enough, the uh, SLC came out and started reporting new data where there was like 400 new neo-Nazi groups that they were following uh by the end of that year and then that just increased from there and i really think there's a normalization that's occurred increase in uh, neo-nazi groups started happening 2017 into 2018 as there's been a total normalization of these viewpoints and i know some folks want to argue that 
<laughs> there hasn't been an increase in the viewpoints that this level was always there, and now they're just more open about it. But I think it's both things. I think we've had an increase, and we've also had the normalization, which is um, kind of a deadly combination. You know, we're coming up on the uh, annual one year anniversary of Charlottesville this week, and what happened there. And I know uh, Jason Kessler and Unite the Right is now organizing another rally for Washington, D.C. that's going to happen. And I don't understand why they keep giving these folks permits. They're clearly violent. You know, the media wants to talk about the Antifa violence that occurs in response, but they don't show the videos of the Nazis shooting the guns at the feet of the Antifa protesters or of the black people that are standing along the sidelines. They don't show the videos of them, you know, that guy that got beaten up in Charlottesville. There was like four of these Nazis just savagely beating on the guy, and then they turned around and they arrested the victim. Like, what the fuck? So I feel like, you know, this week we also had the Berkeley police. I got very angry because they were posting on their Twitter page um, they had arrested some counter-protesters from the Proud Boy rally, and they were posting the photos, the names, and the ages of who they arrested on their Twitter page, which is, as far as I'm concerned, a form of doxing and targeted harassment. So I actually reported them, and I was happy to see that the photos are now taken off their page. But the fact that they felt empowered to do that and that they were all leftist counter-protesters, there was no arrest made of Proud Boys, this tells me that they have some sort of sympathy or some sort of sympathizing going on with white nationalists. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it's cause I mean, uh, people have said it on any time you go to one of these rallies or events, like the cops are there to protect the Nazis. They always put their back. They always put their backs towards the Nazis and face the leftists. And that's what it is. They're not there to help us we we know which side they're on we know which side they're on um basically so we can't be surprised or shocked we can just plan for it no and i think you're right and i um i'm really frustrated because it's it's always seems to me that we're fighting a battle on two fronts because the centrist liberals you know they would rather side with the corporate Democrats and the right than they would give us any ground, and I really have a hard time understanding that. But we see this time and time again as well. Maybe that's the worst part, actually. Anyway, um, so do you think on that note? Do you think that pop culture icons can be an effective way of uh, spreading political messages? Is this something that maybe as the left we should be looking at? So, like, so the point, the premise of struggle session is that you can enjoy, you know, pop culture stuff, even though most of it has shitty politics because, you know, it's produced by a racist, sexist, transphobic, capitalistic um, society like that. That's just the facts. That's how it is. But and, and I and. And and some people might disagree with that. Another other way I put it is like. You know, just just look at the Twitter account of like your favorite, the writer of like your favorite TV show or book. Maybe it's David Simon of The Wire. Maybe it's J.K. Rowling. Maybe it's even William Gibson who wrote Neuromancer. Maybe it's Stephen King. You can go all the way down the list. All these people have at best 
shit lib politics. Like there's not a lot of successful leftist writers out there. They're 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 so bad and so frankly unintelligent on politics at times. Even though they're brilliant writers and create can create these worlds and these stories that suck us in and are so great at that, but even the best of them like have dog shit political opinions that are just completely inexcusable. And if anybody who wasn't famous said any of this stuff, you would immediately block them. So be careful what you wish for when you're asking your, those people to insert more politics into the products they make. Yeah, it, 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 there, there's not a lot of Boots Rileys out there. There's there's not a lot of Boots Rileys out there. There's not a lot of Alan Moores out there. And even with Alan Moore, like he only is in certain politics. He doesn't talk about politics as that explicitly all the time like his primary concern is this aesthetic concern and the emotional concern and that's what art is but when you have something like the purge that just happens to have good politics that doesn't cost a lot of money so there's no like you know corporate head looking at this film and saying wait a minute you can't say that you know the nra funded this fascist right-wing government you can't do that i'm having you know dinner with the with charlton heston you know next week you can't put that in that film you, you when you don't when you have these things that slide under the radar like sorry to bother you um the purge you have you have you have these things that you know have or even like red faction you know an old game would just ha but it's coming from an industry with you know before it came from the industry before it was more corporately locked down you have all these things you can kind of enjoy them and celebrate them as they come like when you get that when you get this good stuff celebrate it but i would not hang my hopes on this you know coming again or that often and and the other problem is when you see something like wonder woman or black panther these will be heralded as you know these really progressive things with great politics but they absolutely are not they just aren't and so and you don't want people to mistake the politics of black panther with like the politics of the black panthers that would be a very that's a bad thing too you have to so you gotta be careful be careful what you wish for celebrate the good stuff when it comes but generally speaking i think it's probably as if not more important uh, obviously because i'm doing a podcast about this for leftists to present to present a cultural critique of the politics of what we consume from a leftist perspective, but from not the perspective that just says, this is racist, this is sexist, this is homophobic, this is bad. Like people, like there was a lot, all that, a lot of that went down during the Obama era. Every time you went to any one of these websites, they would tell you why your favorite TV show is problematic. I don't really think that did a lot of good. It was kind of taking academic discourse, kind of dumbing it down, and all people would see are these headlines of progressives like for, you know, 
like losing it over like TV shows that everyone watches and doesn't feel that really passionate about, to be frank. Like, I, like people like you, like, like you, like, like something like as anodyne as like Seinfeld or, you know, whatever, like people like Seinfeld don't, they don't view it as political. So when you insert like these really strong, you know, political leftist critiques on it without you know kind of tempering it with an understanding that there's a value to these shows to this media even if it is problematic i think you really just turn off people like you like people don't want to hear like people's lives are so hard they're so hard and if the only thing that brings them joy is being able to come home veg out to a tv show they don't want to then have their only engagement with leftists be someone a leftist being someone telling them why that one thing that makes them happy is actually, you know, super problematic and they shouldn't like it. Like that, that doesn't work. That doesn't do anything good for anybody. Like you can, and you can talk about all these things and the problems with them while acknowledging what about them is valuable to people and in what valuable is valuable about them aesthetically. Like you can do both. You can have a leftist critique of something like say 24, which is of course there's tons of leftist critique to make of 24. It's a very, you know, xenophobic show, but I still enjoy the show for an action show. Um, that, that's about a badass guy named Jack Bauer. I can appreciate both. And I think if I can talk to someone who also enjoys 24 and the thing is like all the bad political messaging on 24, like it's not really like extreme compared to like any other media going on at the time. Like that idea that, you know, uh, there was a ton of Muslim terrorists, out there to get us. In fact, it was kind of a hell of this time because it also said there was a ton of Russian terrorists out to get us too. They said, they said it was, but it, but that idea and you know, we're going, cause I mean, through all through the eighties, the Russians were always the bad guys. Then it was the Muslims. No, then it was like uh, other Eastern Europeans. Then it was the Muslims. Then it's, and now we're back to the Russians. Like all these ideas, they're always on the background. They become such background noise that they're almost like apolitical. They're depoliticized. Like, of course, you know, the Russians are the bad guys. Of course the Muslims are the bad guys. So, but, and so when you, point this out to people you have to do it in a way that acknowledges that you don't have to throw away all those 80s movies you loved but you just have to recognize that this is you know race this is bullshit this is not reality those are fictional things and when you see people when you see politicians leaning on these fictional narratives in reality you gotta call bullshit on it because a lot of times these same politicians are that like the CIA helps write a lot of these movies, right? We, we we all know that. Like, show them that, tell them that, explain to them that this is not reality, this is fiction. You can still enjoy it while understanding like the real bad guys are the people who want you to hate Muslims. It's not you for enjoying the show. You're not the bad guy for enjoying the show. The bad guys are the people who are pushing uh, this narrative in the show you like, as well as in real life and across all the cultural culture. That's fair. I think that's a good idea. So, Leslie, if folks want to listen to your podcast, where's the best place for them to do that? Patreon.com slash Struggle Session that has all the links to any way you listen to podcasts. Google Play, RSS feed, iTunes, Stitcher, 
All the links are at patreon.com slash struggle session. And that's the only place to find all the bonus episodes if you subscribe for just $5 a month. Right on. And your Twitter handle? Uh, it's Leslie Lee I-I-I. 